This is the Alpha Human Podcast, and I am your host, Lawrence Rosenberg. Our guest today is Anne Bernard, a former platoon commander and lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Marine Corps, where she served for 24 years. Currently, Anne's world revolves around first-time storytelling. She is the author of How to Become a First-Time Storyteller, a book that describes her passion for leading others to discover how important first-time stories and new experiences are to understanding who we are as individuals and to maximizing what we get out of life. Anne is also a serial entrepreneur, and she is the CEO of 365 Firsts, Inc., and the creator of the hashtag 365 Firsts Challenge. That's a lot of firsts. And welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, Lawrence. <laughs> Happy to be here. Yeah, great to have you. Great to have you on the show. You know, uh, before we started, I was I was mentioning to you, but I want to say it, uh, you know, here for the audience. I read your book, How to Be a First Time, uh, How to Become a First Time Storyteller, and I got to tell you, it was a fantastic surprise because. I never really, I, I consider myself a storyteller. Um, I've been in sales for 25 years, leading sales teams, teaching people how to sell effectively. And I am a huge believer in the power of telling great stories. But I never even considered the concept of the power of first time stories. In fact, until I came upon you and your background and what you were doing and your book, you know, I'd never even heard of the concept before, but after reading your book, not only not only is it, you know, a no brainer that we should be doing this as humans. Um, I can't believe I never thought of this before. So it's, it, you know, she, congratulations. It's a great book. Well, thank you so much for that. And it it is my own unique take and concept on it. So I am definitely the first first time storyteller. And I, I and I'm sure we'll get into how that all came about as we oh, get yeah. into the conversation. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm, I'm really excited to get into that. Um, I, I think a great place to start is um, with the Marine Corps, because, I mean, you were not only a Marine. Uh, at one point, you had become a platoon commander. You were a lieutenant colonel. You were a leader. And you were in the Marines for 24 years. I mean, that's a long time. Uh, so want to ask you some questions around that, uh, because it's certainly a real important part of your journey, but, um, when, so when, how old were you when you joined the Marines and why did you, why did you want to become a Marine of all things? So I was 17 on my 17th birthday. I raised my right hand and I joined the Marine Corps. So my dad had to sign the paperwork for me because you have to be 18 to legally do this for yourself. And I was in the depths program for a year. But what drew me to the Marine Corps, a couple of things. I had a high school sweetheart who joined the Marine Corps. And then one of my brother who's three years older than me was looking at joining the Marine Corps. So okay. the recruiter was at the house all the time. And I was at the table <laughs> listening to everything he had to say. Okay. And I, you know, my home life was not ideal at the time. And also while I did really great in class, I graduated top 10 in my class, class president. 
I looked around and I was like, yeah, these are the same people I'm going to be in college with. I'm not feeling that. And I always had the sense of adventure, wanting to travel. So I would love to say it was the, I want to serve my country. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would say that was part of it, but okay. it was more, I want to live life. I want to see the world. And so 15, 16 is when my interest in the Marine Corps um, came about and I went to the library and they actually had the Leatherneck magazines. So yeah, wow. this is 1993, 1994. So okay. <laughs> you got information out of magazines at the library. And I started reading about that. And I actually, that's when I started reading about platoon commanders and there was a lot about Vietnam War and the, the Vietnam War in there. And and right away, I knew I wanted to be a Marine, and I knew I wanted to become a platoon commander. And so that was what I had set my mind on. And not everybody supported. And I was pretty, I was pretty quick at saying, I'm going to be a Marine. Wow. And, you know, my, my dad and my school principal are the two that were supporting, supportive of it. Okay. And everybody else was kind of like, you're wasting your potential there. You know, you need to go to college. There's so much more you can do, which I thought was a very weird thing to say. Mm. <laughs> Becoming a Marine was wasting my potential. Um, and, but I was, I was determined. I knew that's what I wanted to do. And my junior, senior year, all my teachers were coming up to me and saying, Hey, and you didn't ask us for a letter of recommendation. Are you not applying to college? And I was like, I'm joining the Marine Corps. And yeah. Wow. I, I, you know, I got to tell you, and I want to clarify, cause I said, why did you join the Marine Corps of all things? Because I consider that an incredibly brave and gutsy choice to make, uh, you know, uh, to tell you the truth, I wish at the age of 18, when I did think about it, that I actually had the guts to follow through. I didn't. Right. Um, and yeah, I went to, I went to college instead and, and this kind of thing, but I fantasized about doing it for you. You actually did it. And when I say of all things, why the Marine Corps, is not because it isn't an incredible opportunity for anyone to actually take that leap, but that's gotta be even like by orders of magnitude, more like gutsy back in the early nineties as a 17 year old girl, because that's not really a career choice back then for a 17 year old girl that's like, oh, I'm gonna go become a Marine. That's, are you kidding me? Reading Leatherneck Magazine. So like, you know, that's, that's so powerful. And, um, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, what was and it the, like? Because there wasn't much talk of women in the Marines, if I remember correctly, in the early 90s. No, and I mean, to be honest, it, it was not something that even registered to me either that, that there wasn't much talk about that or that as a woman, it was a weird decision choice. And I have to say that everybody around me they never framed it to me that way either, which okay. you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that. And so I really made the decision at 16, which is also when I decided how oh, I need to hit the gym. So okay. now I'm 16 years old. And again, it's the early 90s and I'm the, in the gym and I'm lifting weights. Women were not in the gym lifting weights at the time. You know, I'm looking around. That's right. 
there aren't any women around me. And a couple of the guys that were on the football team were there and they're like, oh, we'll teach you how to lift. And okay. I started lifting weights because I knew I want to be able to pull my own body weight. So right off the bat, I didn't understand why women didn't do pull-ups at that, you know, at that young of an age. And I was a runner. So a lot of it just, I didn't see any obstacles in, in doing this at all. And boot camp, boot camp was a disappointment. I'm not gonna lie. Um, more I think it's of my drill instructors and I get very clicky okay. and it's not the type of environment I expected. The, the most challenging was the, the rifle range. I was a, a non-shooter. So okay. that was, that was tough because I was also the type of person where a lot of things I was naturally good at. So discovering the things that I was not good at was, was a difficult, you know, was a, was a challenge, Okay. but uh, otherwise I can't say boot camp was immensely uh, difficult, not compared to OCS. OCS was a lot more of a challenge for me. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I, it, and then the environment itself, it, now it, it is crazy looking back because it has changed so much in the 20 plus years that yes, I've been in the Marine Corps and has improved for women dramatic, drastically. Yes. And I, I do feel like the women of my generation and those prior to were part of that because we asked to be treated the same and we constantly proved ourselves applied ourselves and i was definitely one of those person that was always at the front of the pack and i remember i remember we uh, when i was stationed at twin on palms we're out on a company run and mm -hmm. i'm actually the guide and you know i'm running with the guide on and the company commander is not i mean he's he's going a pretty good clip and after the run, so many people came to congratulate me for staying in the run and, you know, being the guide. And I, I you know, I got ticked off and I'm like, did you, are you, you know, would you congratulate your male Marine who did this? And they're like, what? no, then I'm like, go away. I, like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want this. And I'd been on runs where males are like, and you need to drop out. Can't drop out if you're still here. And I'm like, that's your problem. I'm not dropping out. And <laughs> there are a lot of interesting moments like that for sure. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, that that's really powerful. And we'll kind of, you know, as we go, um, you kind of touched on something I want to hit on later about your, your competitiveness uh, because clearly you're a competitor, but we'll talk about that in, in a bit. Um, but you're in the Marines for, again, a while, right? For 24 years, you accomplished um, a lot. You became a leader as well. Um, so what role, while you were in the Marines, because you probably had a number of roles along the way, what role did you enjoy the most while you were in the Marines? Oh, hands down as being a platoon commander. Nothing, nothing is more amazing than that. Wow. And when, you know, at 16, when I decided to be a Marine, my mm -hmm. goal was to be a platoon commander, was to lead Marines. Of course, I didn't realize the restrictions for me at the time. So when I first joined, yeah. first off, I was on the green card. So 
I'm originally from Canada. Okay. So I didn't have my citizenship. So there were a lot of restrictions on what MOS I could do because I couldn't get a security clearance. Okay. So it took me and again, thankfully things have greatly changed that if you join the military service and you're not a citizen, it is expedited. For me, it took me over two years to get my citizenship because I had to go through the same process as everybody else. And I was in California, which is, you know, there was, there's a high rate request there. So it took me a while to get my citizenship. And then I applied for initially applied for the MESEP program, which I didn't get, but I was not a citizen. So no surprise there. Okay. And then two years later, I applied for the meritorious commissioning program because now I had my associate's degree and I qualified for that program and I got accepted for that. So I made it up to the rank of Sergeant got, Emeritus Commission. Two months later, I'm at OCS. And now after TBS or at TBS, I realized there's really only two MOSs, two jobs that will allow me to be a platoon commander. One is logistics. If I become a motor T officer and that did not appeal to me too much. And the other is as a communications officer. So I had been stationed in 29 Palms at the communication electronics school. So I knew that calm was where it was at. So then it was a no brainer. I need to become a communications officer and took a, there was a, there were a lot of challenges. I had a lot of injuries and different things, but finally I ended up at Summit's Com Battalion. I pick up my first platoon and that was, I mean, that's what I had been dreaming of for, you know, six years. Uh, so it, and it, it did not let me down leading Marines is just so incredible because of how much they love being Marines, how much mm. they love accomplishing their mission and how much they can thrive and get done under the right leadership. It was just an amazing, and I, I got to lead a couple platoons and just the best time of my life. Wow. And what what years were, were was that? What year? So that was two thousand one to two thousand three. So it was when I was in Japan on Okinawa. Gotcha. So okay. I got the multi-channel radio, the Mux platoon. Then I got the rapid response platoon, and then I went and became the GTF enabler, uh, OIC, which being the first female for the thirty first MU as the uh, GTF enabler. Uh, oh, I see on, on the Mew. Yeah. You know, it. so it's interesting. Um, I had recently on the show, uh, Jimmy Galliano, who is uh, a former New York SWAT team leader for the FBI. And uh, he is also a leadership consultant. And the biggest quality that he stresses, the most important quality that he stresses about being a great leader is communication. And he feels that communication, the ability to communicate effectively is the most powerful trait of a great leader. And it's funny, um, you know, you speaking about, you know, the, the communications role, but certainly, you know, as we'll get into your, your current uh, role as talk about a communicator, a storyteller, how do you feel that you know, that served you as a leader? And was that, do you feel that that is uh, a crucial part of leadership, the ability to communicate effectively? 
I would definitely agree with that. But I would say for me, the number one is caring. It's, you know, one of, one of my, one of my Marines, when I was at my four year half, you know, he, I think he said it best and mm -hmm. I don't know if we can cuss on the show or not, but yeah, you can, you know, he, he said, you know, my leadership style, he's like, he's like, ma'am, your leadership style is I give a shit. And he's like, you care about us. And that's one of the things that paid off the most for me as a leader okay. is the fact that my Marines have always known that I'm willing to risk it all for them. Like, so while, you know, we say in the Marine Corps, we have two mission, you know, mission accomplishment and troop welfare. For me, there's, you don't get to the, the, the mission accomplishment if you don't take care of your Marines. And because of how many times I've seen them raise above and beyond anything that was fathomable, mm -hmm. if you, you know, the, the, again, the right leadership of them understanding what's possible, it, it's just been amazing the things that I, we've been able to accomplish, like I said, like I've been able to accomplish what's really we've been able to accomplish. And when when I was else, when I was at Seventh Com Battalion, I had a lot of challenges with the leadership. So mm -hmm. as a female Marine who's ambitious, who's driven, and I was setting, you know, my sights on things that some people did not want me to have. Okay. And I made I made some enemies in the process and the officer side can be pretty cutthroat and stab you in the back. I'm not wow. gonna lie about that, right? Because you're you're competing for the best position. You know, it, it, there's a lot more comp competition on the officer side than on the enlisted side. And I can say that because I've lived on both sides of, of the fence. Okay. But, but the enlisted Marines, you know, they raised me up. And I the gratitude that I have for that, it, you know, it, is so deep in my heart because while some people want to see me fail, they made sure that I succeeded because they knew that when the rubber meets the road, I was going to, you know, take care of them. So that it's creating that rapport and that relationship and that understanding that I think makes it that you're able to achieve anything you set out to do. Yeah, that's that's really strong. I mean, you know, certainly when you hear about the Marine Corps ethos, you know, leave no man or woman behind, right? There's there's clearly, you know, a brotherhood and a sisterhood within the Corps that's even different from all of the other uh, branches of the military and uh, the special operations community. The, you know, the, the, there's something about the Marine Corps that has woven into their DNA. Once a Marine, always a Marine. Right. Um, but to hear you talk about caring as, you know, such an important element of being a great leader is a very refreshing thing to hear because many leaders in the business world, right, um, a lot of it is ego driven. Uh, a lot of it is, you know, more self centered than obviously um, focused on where it should be, which is the men and women under your command. Yeah. Um, which is, which is insane because your success is solely based on how efficient your team is. So if you're not pouring everything into ensuring that your team is the best that they can be, then you, 
you're really you're wasting your time as, as, as a leader if you make it about yourself. Great leaders understand this, right? Um, you know, unfortunately, there's, you know, a wide scale, like anything else of leaders, you know, some are on, you know, the, the side of phenomenal and others are right there down at the, you know, the, you know, they're terrible, right? So there's a sliding scale there. Um, but it sounds like intrinsically you understood uh, a lot of what another great military leader, Jocko Willink, talks about, which is extreme ownership. It sounds like you took that, you said you'll, you know, what you said is you will die, right? You live and die for your, for, for your men and women, right? For, for those under your command, you would do whatever it took for them. So you, ha you felt that ownership uh, and you put it all on your shoulders, so, you know, it's, and you, you, was that taught to you or did you just understand that instinctively? No, it, it was definitely instinctively. I have to say, I had to wait 20 years to actually for me to meet a leader that made me feel that way. And when I met him, it was just such a, like a ha ha, like, this is what leadership is supposed to be. And I mean, I knew how to give it to others, but I had never had it, you know, for me. And that, I, I mean, and it was uh, General Cooling and he's been on my broadcast and, you know, we are, we still stay in touch now and he's met the world to me. And yeah, I was 20, I mean, I had been in the Marine Corps 20 years uh, before he came, <laughs> he came into my life and he wow. sat at the table when he, my first staff meeting with him and he sat at the head of the table and, you know, the way that he spoke and expressed himself and, you know, the way he demanded things, but provided the support, it was just like, where, where have you been all my life? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I, you know, I know what you mean when you, when you get lucky enough to work under a great leader, it's, it, it's incredible. You just love going, you love going to work. You love going to do the job. You love being part of the team. It, it, it is an amazing experience. I've, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have that as well. Uh, but it's rare. It's it's just not something you see too often. Um, I'm, you know, one other question about the Marines before we move into the rest of your journey, because there's a lot more that, you know, I mean, you've, you've packed a lot, you know, into um, your short life so far. Um, so what I, I want to ask you what your most memorable experience with the Marines were, because in your book, you mentioned something about how you found yourself at one point, uh, you know, you went from a cubicle in Quantico uh, to a cubicle in one of Saddam Hussein's uh, former palaces. So <laughs> I don't know if that's your most memorable moment uh, in the Marines, but, um, you know, can you tell us that story? That's, I don't I don't say it's the most memorable, but it's the most like whiskey tango foxtrot, what just happened. So when I left, when when it was due, when it was time for me to rotate back from Okinawa, things were just starting to heat up in Iraq. And okay. one MEF was on their way to deploy to Iraq. So I was trying to get stationed to one MEF to deploy to Iraq. So I am one of those Marines, like most Marines, we join the Marine Corps because we want to go to war. We, we don't want war, but if it happens to be there, we want to be part of it. Right. So unfortunately I got requested by name at the Mignos in Quantico and I tried to get out of it, but there was no getting out of it. So 
I went to Quantico. And what is the Mycnos? It's the uh, it's the name has since changed, but for a communications officer, it's the pinnacle, right? To go okay. to to go there, pretty much kind of makes your career. You have a successful gotcha. tour there, it's going to be good for you. So, okay, like, yeah, okay, I guess so. So, I head over and I got to deploy support the executive officer for the deploy support. So we. What we did was responsible for the security of all the deployed networks across the Marine Corps. So it sounded like, okay, I, I, I'll, I'll go there and I always put my best foot forward. So I end up over there, but it was very clear that I was not needed. It was a, it was a small section okay. and I was not needed. So there was a lot of individual augment billets opening up all over the place where units needed augmentation to fill their different uh, billets. And then you also, anyways, there were a lot of augmentation billets up there. So I kept going to my boss and saying, hey, I wanna, you know, I wanna go to Iraq. Like, let me go for six months. Let me experience this. And he was like, nope, I will turn you into, you know, the most effective staff officer. That's what you need for your career. And I was like, you're not listening to me. If you want me to stay in the Marine Corps, this is what I need because I was at the 10 year mark at that, at that point, okay. I was selected for captain and, you know, there's a saying in the Marine Corps, if it's not fun anymore, it's time to get out. And I always had the entrepreneurial spirit boil, you know, mm -hmm. inside of me. So now I'm at the, huh, should I get off the pot situation happening here? A little bit of time go by and I requested to go again. They said no. And I said, okay, I'm gonna resign. Like I'm 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 done then. If you're not gonna send me, I'm done. And everybody laughed it off. They're like, no, you know, you're a lifer, you know, right. you're gonna be the future, you know, battalion commander for one of the the comm battalion, you know. They're like, you're not going anywhere. Well, I wrote my resignation letter and wow. I submitted it. And so I'm in the process of checking out. And the, the command CO called me over to go see him. I went to see him. He's like, do you still want to go to Iraq? And I said, yes. He's like, okay, we, we have a billet for you. Let's, let's get you out there. So put everything on pause, you know, the whole getting out. Okay. And I went to Iraq. So I get, get the camp victory in Iraq and, you know, I made it now I'm not with a Marine Corps unit. I'm with the, the more of the joint staff environment, but okay. okay. I'm in Iraq, by the way, when I got there it was pouring rain and there was like water up to your knees in the middle of the desert. So to Iraq. <laughs> yeah, not what I expected. And I remember I, you know, my first day there, I head over to where my office is going to be. Okay. And it's the palace one, you know, it can't victory was for Saddam Hussein, like one of his retreat palace. Right. So, you know, you walk in and it's like, Ooh, you know, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Took a right big open doors. I walk in and it was all cubicles. And I was like, <laughs> you're back to the cubicles. How did, how did I end up over here? Uh, so I ended up being there maybe for a month and then I maneuvered. So here's the thing as a Marine, right? First off, as a Marine in a joint environment, mm -hmm. 
-hmm. you, and especially perhaps as a female Marine, you get looked at as like a God. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. And right. so I got lots and lots of leeway. So I maneuver with my leeway. So they need somebody to go to the embassy in the green zone to fill a billet there. So I managed to get myself moved to the green zone. Okay. And then once I got into the green zone, now I'm working for this army colonel and like his requirements, I could do would require like one hour of my day. And after that, he didn't really care what I was up to. So I started working with the state department. I started working with Minsticky, which they handled uh, equipping and training the Iraqi army. So okay. I started doing some work with them. So I really kind of just zigzagged around and found myself doing all kinds of wild and crazy things. And if there's a helo leaving, going somewhere to another camp, I was trying to find my way on it. So it, wow. it, I had an interesting, unique tour in Iraq. I'll tell you what, clearly you've always had a sense of adventure. <laughs> um, so um, another thing, so I want to, okay. So thank you for sharing that. I, I want to kind of start transitioning to where your life kind of shifts uh, and gets a little bit kind of, you know, topsy-turvy because, yes. um, but, but, you know, before I, before I do that, you know, you're kind of on this arc after you, uh, you know, and I'm not sure if this was after you left the Marine Corps, uh, but unbeknownst to me, uh, I had no idea when I reached out to you that you were also a NPC women's physique competitor. And I am a huge bodybuilding fan. So, you know, I, now you mentioned when you were 16, you went to the gym, you started lifting weights. Uh, but clearly at some point, uh, you get you get into uh, wanting to compete in bodybuilding. And you know, the MPC is the is essentially uh, you know, world renowned as the amateur level um, federation for bodybuilders before they move into the IFBB, which is you know the pro bodybuilding stage. And so as soon as I heard that, I, I, I went scouring, looking for pictures of you and I couldn't, I mean, you were a absolutely incredibly uh, jacked and, you know, just, uh, and you have a, just a tremendous physique when you were competing, you could have, you have the, uh, you clearly could have gone well past where you did. And you could have probably become a pro. I mean, that's how good you were. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, again, clearly you're a competitor. You know, what got you into bodybuilding? Uh, and, you know, I know you started lifting weights, but how did that kind of, you know, move to that level? Thank you for that. So when I started lifting weight at 16, again, not a lot of women doing that. I would start reading uh, men's health magazines, like different bodybuilding magazine okay and again it, it didn't occur to me that there were a lot of women in there so whatever men were doing to train that's what I used okay and and bodybuilding hitting the gym because I had an eating disorder when I was a young girl okay and it wasn't until I realized that I could pack on muscle and have my own look that was unique to me and mm -hmm. powerful and, and strong that 
that I actually, that stopped my, my eating disorder. And I, I so I learned how to eat when okay. took training very seriously. So when I first got stationed at 29 Palms, again, I was a constant presence in the gym and not a lot of female Marines were in there. And not only was I in the gym, but you better get out of my way. Like I, I wow. you know, I carved my space there. And I knew then that I wanted, I wanted to do bodybuilding. And I remember the first, one of the first sergeants, he wasn't my first sergeant, but I would see him in the gym all the time. And I, he looked like he had done bodybuilding. So I talked to him about it and he said, don't do it. It's very unhealthy. It's bad for you. You know, don't do it. So like, "Uh, okay. So I didn't pursue it at that time. And now fast forward couple decades. <laughs> I it was after starting my entrepreneurial journey, failing massively, putting on a lot of weight, going through injuries and just very tough time. And now I'm at the heaviest I've ever been. And I and on the flip side of a bad uh, breakup. And it was like, okay, I, I need to, I need to pull myself back together. And so I decided I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to step, step on stage. So I lost 50 pounds. It was 50 pound transformation. And I competed for the first year when women's physique was opened up at the NPC level. I competed in Louisiana and I actually became Louisiana's first women's physique winner. And it was an incredible experience, but it's true that bodybuilding is not exactly a, a healthy thing to do because of what you mm-hmm. put your, your body through. And I definitely had joint issues afterwards and I was losing my hair because when you eat a lot of protein, your, your things are out of balance. Wow. And, and I realized that while I love bodybuilding, it wasn't very competitive as far as when you step on stage right? So it's the judge's opinion. And there's a lot of politics in that. I I, I didn't want to have anything to do with politics. I am the type of person that wants to compete, wants to leave it all, you know, on the field. And I'm either winning or losing because of that. It's not because of somebody's opinion. It's because of the true level of training and effort and heart that I have. And I was like, I'm really happy I did that because it's something I had always wanted to do since I was 16. I'm like, "Ah, okay. And that, that was that. That's amazing. Um, just one second. Um, I just, my daughter is flying in from Florida for for the Thanksgiving holiday and she's getting, she's on the plane now. It's going to take off. And, you know, I just want to text her, tell her I love her. Um, be safe. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Um, you know, I saw that picture of your transformation. Um, where you lost 50 pounds and uh, a, I mean, that's a phenomenal transformation going from um, where you started with, you know, all the injuries. And as you said, being overweight and unhealthy and then getting on the bodybuilding stage. And, you know, I, I think you said you won your first show yeah. if I read that correctly, which yeah. again, amazing, but um, it clearly you are super driven. You are, you know, and I'm going to, let's see, I'm going to quote you here. Okay. You said for the first 30 or so years of my life, I developed no real natural desires to connect 
open up, share, and create lasting bonds with others. I was focused, driven, and ambitious. What mattered to me was reaching my goals and finding success in my endeavors. So you were like this classic type A personality that had like, you know, the blinders on and, you know, you, you just didn't connect with people for, you know, for the first 30 first 30 years. When did you recognize that that was an issue for you? So it really took, it, well, my stepmom had been telling me since I was little that it was an issue for me, but <laughs> I, was not, I was not registering. It, it actually happened. I was in Prague over Memorial Weekend and I'm in this park and there's a man sitting on a bench and is this pants so wet? I, I, I don't know why, but I had this desire to go get him a pair of pants and help him. Okay. I really wanted to do this for him, but I was frozen. I was, I didn't, I, I was, it was, it was the weirdest thing. I was not capable of acting on something that I wanted to do for another human being. And I, now at this point, let me backtrack a little bit. At this point I had been, so I, I after my failures, I found myself on my knees and I gave my, my life to God. Hold on. You said your failures, right? So clearly you had accomplished a tremendous amount as a Marine. Um, and, you know, and also as a competitive bodybuilder, so notching these wins, but all of a sudden, I know you talk about being an entrepreneur and, and failing as an entrepreneur a number of times. And so I'm assuming that's what you mean when you talk about your failures? Correct. Yes. Okay. Nothing, nothing in life is harder than being an entrepreneur. I'll, I'll say that. Um, so, so I gave my life to God. And one of the things God, he taught me a lot. But the first thing I had to let go of my identity as an entrepreneur, my identity as this driven, ambitious person. Okay. And that took me a couple of years and waking up in the middle of the night not being able to breathe because if I wasn't that person, then who was I? Thankfully, God, and not not for nothing, but I was part of that journey. I'm back in the Marine Corps, and but now I'm in, I'm, I'm I'm this different person okay. that's trying to find this new identity of who who am I and what is life about because I had been so focused, so driven. And it had made me so insanely miserable and brought me close to, you know, being suicidal and so angry that now I, I'm, my relationship with life is changing. My relationship with people are, you know, is changing. It's one of the first thing God did was bring me back to my family. So after 10 plus years of just being very distant from them, I started, mm -hmm. you know, reconnecting with them, but even, you know, that's, you can't, there was a lot of forgiveness and there was a lot, of, okay, now let's move forward. But what does that look like? You have to be able to communicate. You have to be able to connect. They have to know who you are. So we love the people in our lives, but that doesn't mean we know them and doesn't even mean we like them, right? And we, we just like, because they're family, we love them. We're going right. to be there for them. But do we really have that connection? I did not have that connection with them. And then, so I'm in this park and I see this man and I'm, 
unable to help him. And, and I want to so bad and tears are running down, you know, my cheek. And it, it's just like, what is wrong with me? I, I don't know how to do this. Now, again, when it came to my Marines, completely different. It just put me in a different place mm -hmm. and I connected with them and it, it, they made me such a better version of me. But when you okay. took me, when you took that out and you just put me out in, in the world, I did not know how to make human connections. And so I walked away from him and, you know, crying, but praying and making the decision okay, I need to change that. And that's now I find my now decided, okay, my mission is to learn how to open up and share who I am and make connections. Okay. And that started a whole other journey for me. So, okay. So you have this, you know, this, this epiphany, this um, come to Jesus moment, no pun intended. Right. Um, and you know, this is while you are, while you're traveling, because at some point you decide, you know, you're going to travel um, and you move to Germany uh, and you, you're, you know, you're traveling. Uh, I think when, when this happened, you were in the, the Czech Republic. Yeah. Um, and so you're, you're, and this is, why are you in the Marines now or are you out of the Marines? Yes. Yeah, so, um, so I, I, I'll clear, I'll clear this up. So I left active duty after 10 years. Okay. And I've since then have done 16 more years on active duty and then the rest in the reserve. So okay. what ended up happening with my, <laughs> with my entrepreneurial endeavors. So I left the Marine Corps pursued entrepreneurial endeavors, lost everything, went back to the Marine Corps. Okay make good money, get back out of the Marine Corps, do my own thing, run out of money, go back to the Marine Corps. Right. So it's been, so that's kind of been the, the, the process. <laughs> and then you're also realizing, yeah, I'm driven. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, obsessed with achieving, but I'm also not connecting with people. I'm, I'm unable to connect. I'm unable to form bonds with people. Um, so you're, you're realizing this now, you're having this epiphany. So when does it dawn on you to become a storyteller? And how does that happen? Because this is like, now that this becomes the next phase of your life. And I, you know, again, I've never heard anyone refer to themselves as a storyteller for what it is they do and who they are, because that's your identity now. Um, you know, you're when, you know, when I, who's Ann Bernard, I would say, Oh, she's a storyteller. And then I'll say, Oh, she, and then we'll get into, Oh no, she's a first time storyteller. But before that happened, you know, how did you decide, okay, I need to connect. I'm going to become a storyteller. How does that happen? So it became because I was traveling. So now I'm traveling. So I get stationed at Marine Forces Europe and Africa. I'm in Germany. I'm okay. traveling to different countries. And now that I'm in a different country, I'm like, huh, I should do something new while I'm in this new country. Okay. So that started my journey or first time in your experiences where I started getting hooked on how fun it is to do things that you've never done before. 
honestly, having all those experiences started creating stories for me. So I'm not, I wasn't quite connecting the two together yet. It was when I got back to the States, I decided, so writing as in like even fiction writing has always, so one, my dad growing up, storyteller was always telling us stories. There was okay. a big bad wolf and all kinds of stories. And when I told him I wanted to be a Marine, the first thing he said was like, oh, General Bernard is going to land home in her helicopter. And so he always painted pictures through okay. stories. And I always journal, I started blogging. So communicating through stories, but in the written word was my way of me expressing myself. Now, okay. I wasn't directly doing it with someone, but it was my method of communication. So now I leave Germany. I'm back in the States. I decide that I'm actually going to write a series about my life because people have been saying you've had such an, you know, you've had such an amazing life. You should write about it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to travel and I'm going to write. So I start traveling. I start writing. I decide to stay in Airbnbs and this created a couple of things, but for, for one of the big things that these strangers are opening their homes to me and, you know, they want to know about you. And that's only fair that when you're staying with someone, they should find things out about you. Right. So when I go home to my family, they know the way that I am. So they, they don't have those expectations on me, but these strangers, because it's human nature, human relationship to do this, had these expectations. So I started realizing, okay, they want to know about me. Well, I have a lot of stories to tell. So let me tell them about my experiences and the things that I've done. So I started doing that. I started connecting different dots together and realizing, huh, I can add more information about myself in these stories. So now it became a bit of a game. Like how much information about me can I drop in a story and how much of it are you going to pick up and understand? So now I'm traveling and I'm I'm staying with these strangers and I'm telling stories and I'm kind of making a game for it because of their reactions and because of like they're entertained and they're engaged. It's like, oh, Okay, so now I'm kind of singing for my supper, so to speak, right? So I'm getting to be the center of attention, which is something I never really cared about. Because, you know, to meet your goals and get things done, you're, you're, you're going, you don't care who's paying attention or, you know, what's going on. Now I'm in this different in, you know, relationship, this interaction with people, and I'm kind of enjoying it. Because they're enjoying it. And that's one thing about if you're a really great storyteller, mm-hmm. you might have all the attention, but the other people are captivated and enjoying it and getting value out of that attention that you have. So it's this great positive exchange that takes place. And so I'm loving it. So now I'm doing that. And then Fast forward a little later, I find myself, I decided, so I mentioned at the beginning, I'm originally from Canada. Mm -hmm. I had crossed the U.S. like half a dozen times, and I had never crossed Canada. Like, So I decided over one summer, 
I'm going to cross the homeland. Okay. So I'm crossing Canada. And in the process, I'm like, I need to meet more strangers. Like I'm getting good at this. Let's, you know, let's turn it up a little bit. Turn, <laughs> let's turn it up a notch. <laughs> yeah. So, so I started going on because I'm traveling, I'm fast moving. So I'm not in okay. any one place for long, but long enough to have dates. So I started having dates and then I realized, oh my God, most people are not storytellers and it's mm. very boring to engage in a conversation where someone cannot communicate who they are. Mm. They don't know how to open up. They don't know how to be vulnerable. So I realized eh, it has to be a two-way street. The, the other person you're doing this with has to be receptive and reciprocate. So that, you know, all of this is just kind of building knowledge of, I'm, I'm realizing this, but it wasn't until a few years later until like now during COVID that kind of, this all came together, Okay. but, but, and might be jumping, <laughs> might be jumping around on your question, but it, okay. it, it has been such a, has been such a incredible process for me to have these discoveries about myself and then saying, okay, I need to do something about it. And then seeing where then that leads me. Okay. So, you know, you're starting to realize that, wait a second. Um, I can add incredible value to other people's lives in these brief exchanges. Um, and I'm enjoying it. Uh, but I'm also noticing that, wait a second, there's a lot of people who, aren't able to communicate. It wasn't just me. There's a lot of people out there that now that now that I am really comfortable in my own skin being a storyteller and sharing my life with people, I'm noticing that people can't do it. And so this is a skill that's missing from most human beings. Um, and we'll get into that, how to, you know, how to get great at that skill, because it is a skill. Um, but it wasn't just stories that you were telling. It was first time stories that you were telling, which is, which is very different because there's lots of stories. Like, you know, you could tell stories about a book you read. You could tell stories about a movie you saw. You could tell stories about other people's lives, right? You could tell stories, you know, about, you know, what I did, yes, what you did yesterday, but that's not a first time story. So you, you, you fell into this, this niche of a very specific type of story. So tell us, you know, how that came about, because, you know, again, was it just happenstance? Did you, you know, consciously start to realize the stories I'm going to tell they're only going to be first time stories. Like, how does this develop now? Okay, great question. So in April of 2019, uh, my orders, I was on my second set of orders with Marine Forces Europe and Africa were coming to an end. Okay. And it was, what do I do with my life? I had given up being an entrepreneur. Now we're, it, it's been about 10 years. Okay. And God brought it back on my heart. Like it's time to reclaim the title entrepreneur. It's time for me to get back out there. Cause I, I've never been interested in getting a job in corporate America, never been interested in continuing on in the government. 
as a contractor. Okay. You know, GS, never been interested in that. So, okay, I, I get to go back out there as an entrepreneur. What do I do? And so you go back to your life. You, you know, I go back to the things that I had learned and the journey I had been on with the first times and your experiences. Like, I, that has changed my life. This journey has changed my life and my relationship with life. So now I see the value in experiencing life. So instead of seeing life as a competition, as I, you know, it's a path to my goals, my ambition, you know, an endpoint, my results. Now I saw life as an opportunity to learn, to grow, to, and I had seen so much of the world. I have found myself in such incredible places. Just like, there's so much more to life than just pursuing goals. <laughs> so wow. like, okay, what am I good at right now? And it was living. Like, I am good at living life. How did I get good at it? Because I went on this journey of first time in your experience. I'm like, okay. So that's kind of how the 365 first challenge came about. So this is before the app and, and so like, okay, but you know, podcasting kind of tracking what that's all about. And I had done radio. I had a, <laughs> I had a AM radio show when I was in New Orleans. Okay. So I knew that I enjoyed talking. So I'm like, okay. And I now really like telling stories and I've had all these experience. So let me share first time stories on the 365 first podcast. So I started sharing my first time stories. Okay. Now, fast forward a year later and COVID hit and my plans to grow the 365 first challenge goes to crap. I'm in Las Vegas and I wanted to partner up with businesses, get the city to embrace a challenge, get people as soon as they land in Las Vegas to download the app. And I had like a whole plan. Well, okay. COVID put all that to, you know, put a big kibosh on that. So I'm like, yeah, let me start the first time storytelling broadcast. Let me, it was something that I always wanted to do. I had been sharing my first time stories. I always wanted to get other people to share their first time stories. So I start the broadcast and I decide Monday through Friday, I'm going to go live on Facebook. Okay. <laughs> people, my, my sisters are like, couldn't you do like once a week, then three times a week, then five times a week? I'm like, no, it's going to be Monday through Friday. You're all in. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I am contacting all kinds of people to come on and share a first time story. Okay. So people start coming on the broadcast and I'm listening to their stories and I'm thinking, this is not a story. Like some people were good. Some like, that's not storytelling. So as that's happening, I start taking notes. So let me do a free webinar to teach people how to tell stories, right? So that way, when they come on the show, I got not to pick on my, some of my guests, but it was just, first off, a story is I statements. A lot of people do you because they're trying to teach. They're trying to share information. They're not sharing a story. And people actually have a tough time talking about themselves. So I know that we hear it all the time where people are like, oh, all this person does is talk about themselves. Very few people 
effectively talk about this themselves in a way that is educational and, you know, informative and engaging. So it's really doing the first time storytelling broadcast that made me realize it's an art. It's a skill that people don't possess. So that's how the book came about because I, I did the initial course and then it continued to grow. I'm like, ah, I might as well write a book, decided to write the book. And now, you know, there's the book and there's the course. And, and while I was writing the book is when it kind of just came clearer, like, oh, and that, oh, and that too. And wow, you know, you can pull in that entire thread through your life with your first time stories. Some first time stories have domino effects. Some first time stories only happen once, but yet have impacted and shaped who you are. Yet people, you know, have forgotten. They're for, you know, you became who you are, but you've forgotten the events that have created who you are. And when you, when you go into first time storytelling, then you have the ability to, to do that. And for me, and then I started seeing with my guests, because the more I clarified things with my guests, I got to see the ha ha moments for them of connecting certain dots together that they never realize. And it just, it opens up something inside of you, especially when you're a little older, you know, you have a maybe 30, 40, 50 decades in your life mm -hmm. when you're able to do that because it's powerful and you understanding how bad things turned around for you or, you know, there are the reasons why now you are where you are and you, you have this realization of your life and what it's been about. And that really helps you then to continue to pursue life in, in, in more vigor and more, you know, understanding like, oh, it's a magical interaction that I'm having. So, okay. So you've just answered um, the question of why tell first time stories versus any other kind of story. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a, you know, being able to weave a narrative um, in your own mind about your life to truly understand, you know, where you were, how you got here. And also, I know you talk about the fact that you're actually, in a way, you're archiving your life and you're reclaiming all these memories about, you know, those, those milestones that have, you know, that have shaped who you are as a person. So it's an incredible, it sounds like an incredibly cathartic experience, as well as, a very powerful way of uh, communicating with people. And so I wanted to ask you, um, because you talk about it in the book, um, what, so what are the, the key purposes, um, not necessarily, you know, not necessarily from the perspective of having an experience, a, a really deep, meaningful, philosophical, cleansing, therapeutic experience for yourself. But what are the purposes? Because there are some key purposes of first-time storytelling. You mentioned three of them in the book um, that are really practical uh, reasons to be a first-time storyteller. Can you share what, you know, what those purposes are? Absolutely. So, all form of communication really have three, 
of the three same purposes. Okay. First time storytelling just makes it really all about you. But okay. I'm going to caveat why that's a positive thing. So one purpose is to inform others of who you are. Okay. So it's a way to communicate and express in a clear, concise fashion who you are. Now, again, in building a relationship, the only way you build relationship is the other person understands who you are. So if you can get someone through a story to walk in your shoes, then they get to really know who you are, at least based on that particular story, that aspect of who you are. Mm. And that is powerful. I have a quote, you know, when, when I have a conversation with you and you walk away, I don't want you to have an opinion of who I am. I want you to have an understanding of who I am. Wow. And that responsibility is on me. If I don't properly communicate to you who I am, which it means that I'm being open and vulnerable and I'm sharing my thoughts, my feelings, any emotions with you, then the chances are you're going to walk away with your own opinion of what you heard me say. So, right. so first purpose to inform others of, you know, who you are. The other one is persuade somebody of hire to hire you to date you to not make your mistakes or you know trying to convince them or something right. well if you share your personal experience then they're going to much better understand why you say what you say you are who you are and you have the opinions that you are Right. So yes. if if when somebody asks you a question, your answer, make it a story, a story that is obviously relevant to answering the question, but that gives them one, it's going to be more memorable. They're going to they're going to connect with it because human beings love stories. They connect with them, you know, much, in much stronger fashion. Actually, they say when you tell stories, you align brain brainwaves, so you can really make sure that they understand you. So if you're dating, you should absolutely be able to tell engaging stories. So yes. That person is captivated what you're saying, and they walk away like, wow, I learn a lot about that person because when we walk away from, and same thing, if you're at, you know, at, at a job interview, if people can walk away from you and they're replaying your story, you've done a really good job <laughs> yes. making sure that they're going to remember you and they're, they're going to uh, understand you. So, and I'm actually drawing a blank on the middle one, inform, persuade, and inform, persuade. And you also write about, uh, entertain. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Yeah. It is, you know, such a, we, people want to be entertained and it's such a pleasure yes. and a joy to gift that to someone. So if you have, you know, stories that are ready to go where, mm -hmm. you know, 
to, to me, it's almost kind of like, you know, being at court, being the jester again, singing for your dinner to where, you know, it's, it's a role because you're reliving. So one of the things you're not just telling a story when you, when you, when you share a story, you should be reliving it. Therefore it's an immersive experience for you and for your audience, whoever you're, you're telling them, telling it to, and you're going to, they're going to go through a series of emotions because of what, you know, the experience was like for you. Mm. So they're going to be engaged. They're going to be entertained. And again, they're certainly, you know, you're going to walk away. They're going to feel good and they're going to remember you. You know, the power to communicate uh, and to do it through storytelling imparts really some of the most valuable things we are as human beings, which is the ability to inform, persuade, and entertain. If you have that power to do that, if you have the power to do all three of those things, you're, you can accomplish anything. I mean, because what you're doing fundamentally in every, you know, it's funny how you ended up coming to, you know, the most important part of being a successful entrepreneur, you came about it, right? You, you ended up back by accident, maybe at what makes the greatest of entrepreneurs, right? Which is the, which is the ability to do those three things. Because if you can do those three things, you can do anything. Uh, and uh, also, again, for yourself, you, you gain an incredible, you talk about how you gain an incredible amount of self-awareness by telling these first time stories and you, you end up improving your well-being. This is not my this is, you know, this is not my epiphany. This is what you taught me. Um, and, and that is so powerful. Um, and so I want to talk now about, I want to use this time to, to share with others how to, how to do that, how to become that first-time storyteller. Because what you're saying makes sense. It's an incredibly powerful skill to obtain. Um, it's really not that hard to do, um, but it is it is a... Uh, uh, maybe a challenge or it, it, it does take work to do it well. Okay. So let's, let's talk about how to become a first time storyteller. And the reason you're so good at it, because you're kind of, the thing is, you know, you're, you know, you're not showing all of your cards. You're really good at this, not just because you've practiced so much because you, you were obsessed. You really were. You were like practicing on, you were looking for strangers to practice on. So you, like you were obsessed. But the other part of the story is that, you know, and you only hinted at it is that you were, I mean, you, you were, you were working on becoming, well, you are a writer, you're an author, you've written books, but you were also learning how to write fiction. And to do that, you had to learn the art of writing stories. And, that, and you were a blogger for a long time. You started writing fiction you, you know, I think you self-published a few books um, at some point. So you understand the craft of putting together a story. And if you, and if you read your book now, it, it's almost like a manual, a, you know, it's, it, it, it really teaches you how to be not just a, teach you how to be a great writer, but also how to be a great storyteller. So let's share some of this, these gold nuggets um, with the audience, because this is, this is powerful. Um, so 
what, yeah. what so first of all what kind of what kind of first time story should we tell because hell i've got a thousand first time stories but i don't know if anyone's going to care about all of them <laughs> well they will I, I and that's you know that's the first thing trust me on this people will care about your story okay because they're going to be learning about you and again because they're going to be engaged and entertained okay now so in the book and anyone can join the first time story map project to okay. where now this is about sharing in the common new, new uh, human experience so the vast majority of all of our experience as human we all have many of the same first times they impact us they shape us differently and you know depending on what culture you're from there might be twists and, and differences to it but that's the beauty is because if you tell me the story of your first car and i tell you the story of my first car there might be different but they're going to be they're going to they're going to have nuggets about your your childhood they're going to have nuggets about how responsible how you were parented there's that's the thing with first time storytelling and and we can get to you know the nuggets of it is that one of the biggest thing what people don't do is yeah. they don't realize you are a character in your story so that means that you need to shape yourself in your story as a character so that your audience has all the information that they need about you as a character. We take it for granted what people know or don't know about us and we don't give them that information. And this is where all these assumptions and all these opinions come in. When you read a book, your characters are defined. You learn who the yes. character is. That way you can identify with the character and you can become that character in your imagination. Yes. When human beings talk about themselves, they don't talk, they haven't thought of themselves as a character so that I can give you enough information that now all of a sudden you do become me. Instead of being you stepping into my story, I want you stepping into my story as me, which is what authors, movie screenwriters, that's what they do. So that's something that you have to learn. Okay. And it's not hard to, you, and this is also why first, why first time storytelling, there are those stories that you know, right? So why have to memorize somebody else's story or try to remember somebody else? Trust me, it's going, some of your stories are going to be hard enough <laughs> to remember. <laughs> we, right. uh, that's another thing is you'll realize how much you've forgotten about your life when, when you start going through this, this process, which is what I tell people to do is develop a first time story repertoire so that you know, your stories are going to have themes, they're going to have topics, they're going to have subjects. So when, when you're having a conversation and those themes and those topics come up, you can weave in one of your stories. And now you're, you're changing. If you've been around a storyteller, you see how they change the energy as a conversation filled, you know, comes their way and they start telling the story, start telling a story, then they're changing the energy to where now they capture somebody's imagination, but they're talking about themselves. 
Interesting. That's, you know, that's the power of first time storytelling and understanding that you are a character. So if I tell you stories back in my Marine Corps days, you know, I have to tell you what I was like as that young Marine, because if you know me today or just from this conversation, if I just jumped in the com in a story, right. you would apply what you've learned about me today to me in that story. And that might not match who I was back right. then. So this is where that self-awareness comes up of realizing, oh, wow, I've really grown since then. But if I'm going to tell the story, I need to identify myself as who I was at that time. That's, that's so interesting because, you know, again, so you're, you're, you're really giving insight into how to view this almost as a process that, you know, you, you could do intuitively and it's not engaging because you don't know how to do it. But because you've done it so well and deconstructed it, and of course you're a writer, um, you're an author, you've practiced, you've, you've been obsessed with getting this right, you kind of know the mechanics and most people would never think to look at themselves as the central character in a story. And of course, it, if you're playing that role, then you have to develop that role for the reader to better connect with, right? To, to, because if you can't connect with, with a character, then the, the story's lost. You're going to put the book down. So is it as simple as, I mean, if I start telling a story, uh, about the first time I tried a cigarette, right? And, you know, you're going to talk about that story. You say, now you have to understand who I was back then. Back then, I was this guy that, right? So I mean, is it as simple as just describing it that way or? So you you can absolutely do it that way. So some of it's going to be like, how's the conversation flowing? So if people are, let's say you got on the topic of, you know, your, your first cigarette. And so you can jump in and have a hook. And this is where if you prepare your repertoire, then you have your hook ready. Right. And I don't recommend writing your stories because you're going to feel like you have to rehearse. You, should, right. you don't want to rehearse your, your own story. Right. But if I give you the hook, so if, you know, let's say we, we bring up smoking gets brought up and I can say, ah, oh, I was six years old and my brother, you know, he was nine years old and he came up to me and he offered me a cigarette. And when I was, I'm, I gotta tell you, when I was six years old, very similar to where I was now. I did not do things that were wrong. So now I'm making a connection of who I am now to what I was like back then, where now there are certain stories where I would, I would be a different person so that you would see the progression. Or now what I'm doing to you is making a connection that is rooted in who I am. So now that is a value, right? Um, that is a value driven. So if you're, if you're an active listener and you're good at picking up on how people communicate and express themselves, because that's the other thing, right? Right. To we got to get right. into that. You're jumping the gun. <laughs> that's so important. What you're going to say now, wait, hold off on the, on the listening. Wait, okay. <laughs> that is incredible. That's, I, you know, cause you talk about this in the book, 
Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I've got to stop you there because I want, I want us to, to hit on that um, in just a moment because you're giving such good advice right now about how to tell the story. So, so number one, think about the character. Think about you as the character and be able to develop that character. Um, you also talk about uh, the fact that one of the other most important things, and by the way, you, li you list a lot. Um, of, of really cool things that I would have never thought of, but now I'm conscious of them and I'm thinking about them when I want to tell a story. But one of the other big ones is to, that you need to open up and be vulnerable. So can you, can, can you elaborate on this? So there's, the, there's creating, you know, being able to flesh out the character, viewing, looking at yourself like a character in the story, but then there's, you need to open up and be vulnerable. Why? Why do I have to be vulnerable? Because that's how we connect. That's how when I share with you what I felt, why I felt that, I'm adding those layers of what you need to relate to me. Because that experience, you might feel differently about it. But when I tell you that that experience made me feel that way, you can, if you're a normal human being, you can have the empathy. <laughs> if I'm not a sociopath, yes. yes. <laughs> you can have, you can now develop the empathy for me in that situation. Or if it's a funny situation, you can really like have a, a heartfelt laugh where you're having that experience as me, as yourself, you, you don't really know. You just know like this is powerful. Now I feel connected to you, right? So if you're the one telling me, I feel connected to you because you open up, you were vulnerable. We pick up on those things. It's mm. we, while it is something that is scary to do for most people, we pick up when someone is doing it with us and that that makes us feel like oh you trust me there's there's a bond there that i might not even realize was there but because you're sharing this i feel this bond which now makes me feel like i can trust you you trusted me so i feel now i can trust you and that's going to open up the other person to start sharing with you now you might be tricking them to some extent because you've outlined your stories, you've rehearsed your story, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I'm not, I'm definitely not trying to make people manipulative in, in right. this. And I mentioned in the book, that's not how to use it. You do, you do. But, but it is something that is created, that is developed in that process. And to me, that was the biggest thing that I had to sort of overcome as well in my journey. And I found storytelling to be a safe way of doing it because I don't want to touch back on the active listening, but because I can do that in a powerful way. And if you're not worth that information, you're actually not going to be able to pick it up. So it becomes a safe way of doing that where you're not rejecting me. I told you a story, right? I'm not like open up and making myself vulnerable in a very direct way. I'm actually, it's, right. storytelling is a bit of an indirect way. And the person that you're telling it to needs a, 
certain level of intelligence and, you know, emotional, you know, IQ to be able to grasp that information. So once you do grasp that information, then you do become a safe person, a person that I do feel more connected to because you're kind of proving my story is a bit of a test in a way, but you're proving that you are worthy of that type of information, which then frees me to share even more. And then obviously that bond is connected. So in a way it's, it's a bit of a test. It's a safer way. And it's also a more powerful way to, to do it. You know, something you, what you, what you're talking about here. And again, another reason your advice is so powerful is you're, you're kind of letting people in on a, uh, on a little known uh, secret that, you know, many of the world's, you know, great writers, actors, um, creators understand. And that is that while most of us put walls up around our emotions and ab- around our feelings, while most of us do that because we don't want to expose the, you know, uh, the raw nerves of our, uh, you know, of our vulnerabilities, because we might be viewed as insufficient, we might be viewed as weak, we might be right, we might be viewed as something other than this image that we'd like to portray. But funnily enough, it's actually, actually, it's the opposite. And in that those that have the, the courage to be vulnerable, end up becoming the most interesting people in the world. These are the people, it's like every time, every time I listen to a podcast or an interview or a personality, what makes them interesting is they start let, they start sharing things with you that make them seem more human, that make them seem um, just as fallible as everyone else. And then all of a sudden you find yourself connecting with that person you want to hear more about them it's it's actually the opposite of what we imagine we imagine oh we want to oh we want to hear about the hero the hero's journey and you know they're impervious you know to any of the you know the mistakes and and um uh snafus that any mere mortal might uh face but um actually that gets very boring um to really connect You've got to be vulnerable. And yeah, you've reminded me of that. Again, your, your, your book is a, a very subtle powerhouse of, of knowledge, uh, of, of advice on how to be really a very powerful communicator. Um, so another thing before we get into the listening part, one more thing, one more thing. And again, and by I'm just skimming, oh, because we could talk for five hours. I'm just skimming over all the pieces of the puzzle that you give away in the book when we talk about how to do this correctly, right? Like I'm I'm literally skimming over everything from you know, set the setting, the plot, the details, the language. I mean, you got a lot of cool stuff to teach people. But one of the other big things for me that you taught me in the book was that the this this concept of the theme that your story has a theme, but rather than me spoil it, you explain what is, holy shit, now I've got to have a theme to my story? Man, this is complex. 
right? Man, there's a lot that goes into telling a story. Talk about the theme. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so I, I base, like you said, and I, you, you, you make me feel very wonderful, I have to say. So I have, you know, I've been an avid reader, writer, and when I wrote this book, I did want to pull on what people are familiar with okay. because relate to what a book, then again, you make the connection it becomes a little easier, even though this is not written for authors, it really is written for storyteller. Yes, it is. And authors are storytellers, but there, there are differences where I don't talk about the story arch. We don't, we don't, I don't yes. just that at all because I don't want you to force your story to fit a pattern because they're your stories but with that being said there's still going to be a theme that because our lives the events of our lives in the have themes and if you can look at your life that way I think that's also where you get to find the magic or maybe it's just me because I, because of how I view life. But I think that's part of the magic of, Oh, my story had this purpose, this event in my life, which is the story that you're telling had this purpose, had this general theme to it. And I didn't even realize it. And again, as you're outlining, as you're learning this process, it's not like you have to come up with the theme. Your audience will actually do that because after you tell the story, they're gonna share with you what they learn about you, how that made, this goes back to active listening, but they should share with you what they learned from it, mm -hmm. how it made them feel. And then out of that, you'll, you'll be able to see like, ooh, that's kind of the theme. And then they'll help you enlighten you on, you know, your own life, your own, your own happenings and things that, you know, your, your story that you share with them. You know, that is incredible because again, you've, you've um, shared something which counterintuitively is so powerful because you might, you assume that if I'm writing a book, um, you know, there has to be this overarching theme to all of this. What is it? What is the, you know, um, if I'm telling a story, yeah, um, she's right. I, you know, what's the purpose of this? What's the theme that I want to get across? But the beauty of it, as you described, is that, you know, you, in the, the theme will develop as part of the story. And it is your audience that will do the work to come up with the, what the theme was. You don't even have to, so it's not like you have to figure out, oh, okay, so before I start telling the story, what's the theme? And then I'll match the story to the theme. No, you don't have to do that, um, which is incredible as well. Um, but there's, all right. And I'll just make another kind of tie the story concept into it. So one of the, I, I, and this happens, still happens to me today, right? Okay. So one of the things as an entrepreneur that I've struggled with is you have to get your lucky break. And okay. You know, I've always felt because I have technically yet to make it as an entrepreneur, right? So I'm not making a living as an entrepreneur yet, right? Going broke, gotcha. doing it so far. So I feel like I haven't been lucky. So I was telling the story about my first flat tire. And we touched on this a little bit. I have traveled and I have driven all over the place. 
Okay. And I've never gotten a flat tire in a vehicle. So my first flat tire really wasn't even a flat tire. It was the flat tube in my mountain bike. But that was after biking across all over Canada, all over Europe, probably thousands of miles on my bike. And by the time I got my first flat tire, it was near enough to my car that it didn't have like a major impact because when I went to change my tire, I ran to, you know, change the tube, I ran to a little problem on actually how to do it. And then I realized I have been very lucky that I have done all of this traveling, all of this biking and never had gotten a flat tire. So it made me realize mm. luck is not just what happens to you, but it's also what doesn't happen to you. So mm. that gave me a theme on looking at luck differently through sharing that story of, huh, very interesting because it made me rethink about when was the first flat tire and all the, you know, different times where it could have happened and I would have been in a much worse, worse situation. Now, funny enough, after telling that story, I yeah. went mountain biking for the first time in Las Vegas, got a flat tire, and I had to walk back home for four miles. Oh my God. There you go. You got your... <laughs> the, whole time, the whole time I'm walking back and I'm like, what is this about? Murphy's Law. There you go. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, but again, just another, you're, you're, what you're mentioning there, it's once again, another benefit of you know, first time storytelling as a tool to better understand yourself. Again, yeah, the power of informing, uh, persuading and entertaining, unbelievable. But again, on, on top of all of that, it's this very, very um, effective tool to self-analyze and better understand who you are as a human. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's really, really, um, there's just so much good stuff in what it is you, you teach. And in this book, um, that goes beyond the concept of first time storytelling. So now let's get to, let's kind of, let's kind of wrap this up in a, in a nice bow with, um, this, this active listening, because I, when I saw in your book, you were talking about active listening. I flipped out because that is a big thing that I talk about how important how important it is to listen uh, and how to listen. There's a certain way to listen that people don't even think about, but I'm going to quote you. You say that if you want to be someone who is heard, be sure to be someone who listens. So kind of explain to us your thoughts on this concept called active listening and why it's so important to being a great storyteller. Uh, I love, <laughs> I love how you, you frame and phrase your questions. So active listening is the, uh, well, let me, let me twist this around a little bit. Okay. If you are smart and it's, you know, military background, know your enemies, know your friends, know people. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, psychology major. It is to my benefit when I listen to you to understand what you're saying, to read your body language, to pick up what you're not saying, to analyze what you're saying, 
The only way I'm capable of doing that is I have to actively tune in, tune myself out and tune you in. So then I get all that data and all that information. And now for me, I trust myself that I, you know, intuitively I'm going to process that information. Mm-hmm. That might not be automatic for everyone at first, but once you practice active listening, it will become more natural because you know what to do with information that's coming into you. You're going to have to trust that. But active listening is going to that place where I'm cleared out. I'm giving you my full attention so I can learn and capture everything. In that process, I'm picking up how you express yourself do you know and some of it like oh I like that it's something that I want to put in my toolkit that I enjoy about how you said that and how is this making me feel and so are you pulling me in do you have my attention now admittedly storytellers especially great storytellers much easier to do that with people that are all over the map <laughs> or that don't tell good stories, they, kind of, they might make it difficult because you can't follow, you can't track what you're saying as much as you're trying, you're giving them your full attention. Yeah, they're, you know, it, they're making it challenging for you, but that's going to also make you realize, huh, that is challenging. What's challenging? What are they not communicating? And then you can ask the questions to get the information that is missing, that's not being clearly, you know, communicated right. to you because you have that ability to, to do that. Um, but, you know, doing the first time storytelling broadcasts, when a get, when, when I, I love, cause I, I'm waiting for that moment. I'm waiting for that moment where I'm in your story. And when that happens, I, I just love it because I get to forget about me. I, whatever is going on in my life, like, I don't care. I'm in your story and I'm reliving that moment with you. And it's so much fun. And I've had some guests that have given me sweaty hands because I'm, you know, I'm nervous about what's going to happen as they're telling me the story. They have some that some guests that have made me cry because of you know how, how much emotion was in their story mm. but it you know it's such a great experience to get to experience that with another human being where it's, you know it's a true heart to heart connection where we're suspended in that moment together and you know it, it's it's beautiful especially in a time when we're so disconnected um through not just social media, uh, but of course, COVID and the lockdowns and the, the quarantines and the, you know, distancing and, you know, all of this stuff, it's further disconnecting people uh, more so than at any time in history. The acceleration of our disconnection from other humans emotionally, not just physically, right, but emotionally has accelerated over the past decade for a number, you know, a number of factors. So it's getting harder and harder for people to maybe do what they once knew how to do, right? Because storytelling is something, I mean, you don't have to go that far back to just think about the, 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 the trope of the campfire story, 
right? Everyone sits around the campfire. They sit around, you know, they sit around the dinner table and, you know, someone tells a story. That's, you know, when I grew up, right, this, this would happen. But how many, how many families, how often do they get together around the dinner table anymore? to tell these stories or how often do you get to go to a campfire anymore with people sit around a campfire and tell a story. So, you know, also you, you, you hear this thing about listening. Um, I'm a storyteller. I tell stories. I don't need to listen. I need to tell, right. I don't need to listen, but it's actually, you know, the opposite, the bet, you know, the, the better you want to be as a storyteller, the more you have to listen. I think you said it right. And it's, it's like, if you want, if you want to, you know, if you want to be heard, then you need to be able to hear. Yeah. And this is ultimately about having conversations. So it's about having and maintaining conversations. So it should be two way street. So I, and I mentioned this in the book where I became guilty of it because I really love telling stories where I can steal the air in the room, <laughs> continue to tell stories where I had to realize, oh, wait a second, let me, you know, leave the stage, the space for mm. somebody else to tell, you know, their stories. Um, but it, it can be a little intimidating to, I have a friend who's just an incredible storyteller and I don't want to talk after him, you know, it's just, and, I, and I feel like I'm a pretty dang good storyteller uh, because of, you know, the way that he just engages his, his audience and then he'll open up the floor and you're still kind of just in awe of what he just said, but wow. it, you know, you want to return that favor because you should be telling the story to open up the dialogue, to make the connection. So, you know, it's how to become a first time storyteller, share, connect, grow closer together. So ultimately you're becoming a storyteller to build relationships. Well, that means that you're putting that space where you are listening and somebody else gets to share so that you can create more of that bond and that connection and, you know, that, that back and forth. So, yeah, I mean, that's, again, all of, a lot of this stuff is like, you think to yourself, of course, that's makes so much sense, but like, you know, it, we, we, we don't do it. Um, but if we, but it, it's, it is that simple to be, to really own this incredible superpower that you're, that you're, you know, sharing with everyone. It's, it's not difficult to do. You just have to be conscious about it. Um, so I just have two more questions for you. Um, so one of them is, so, okay, I, 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 I've read your book. I'm, I'm definitely thinking about, okay, I'm, you know, want to, want to do some of these first time stories when I'm having conversations with people instead of, you know, cause you talk about how most people communicate today. Most people are glib. Most people are very shallow in their conversations. And, and, you know, everyone accepts that it, you just have a very, you know, the, the, the art of communicating is, is really just short shrifting any emotions or any deep conversations or anything of any real value. Um, and that's just the way we get on in life. But um, how, so given that, given that that's the way most people communicate, how do you suggest 
uh, you introduce, you know, telling a first time story to somebody because when is, you know, and it's like, yeah, okay. It's easy if you're at a party and like, you know, people are kind of sharing things and like, oh, you know, that makes, you know, but like how, like, what should you look for as a, you know, as a clue or a trigger uh, or something to say, hey, now's the time for you to tell your story. How do you do it? How do you introduce first time stories into the conversation? So you're looking for those threads. You're looking, yeah. So you can create the opportunity where you can set it up. I'm going to ask okay. you a question and then I'm waiting for you to ask the question back because I have my story ready for that question. <laughs> so that's a little brilliant, simple, direct. And where you mentioned it yeah, to this society, not some people don't understand hmm, conversation is a volley. We go back and forth. So they might not volley the question back okay. to you. Okay. So this is where you feel, you know, how things are going. Is the person worth sharing your story? If you really want to find out if that person is worth your time, worth sharing mm -hmm. your story, they did not volley the question back to you. You can go ahead and answer the question nonetheless with your story. Now, here's where people might get a little confused. They're like, well, they think a story is 20, 25 minutes. No, majority of your stories, it's actually very difficult for most people to have a 10, 15 minute story. Right. Most of your stories are going to be two to five minutes. So, you know, gotcha. pick a, if you don't know this person, pick a question that's associated with a quick story or be able to tweak, tweak your story to where, you know, you deliver it in a faster fashion. It's something you have to rehearse and you have to practice. It, it's not... You're going to have to put the effort into that. But if you're at a networking event or you just meet somebody, you know, cue the question and then have your story ready. And the thing is, if they answer your question in a typical fashion and then you've only, you send it back as a story, they're going to take notice. And no, yeah, that is a check in your column when they do that, right? So the other way, if, if you're in a group or let's say you're on a Zoom call and there are different, you know, the thing with a Zoom call is it is more of a back and forth and the topic is brought up and you have a story associated with that topic, then go ahead and speak. So if one of the things that I addressed this more in the course than in the book, because I couldn't go into deep into everything in the book, but, you know, if you don't have the confidence to speak, to open, you know, to, to take charge of a conversation, mm -hmm. then we need to work a little bit on your, on your confidence to okay. do that. But prepared, being prepared is a long way towards being more confident to where like, okay, that comes up or you've been on enough calls, you've been in a group enough where you know what kind of conversations go around, then okay, next time have your story, you know, go ahead and outline your story, rehearse it, prepare it and when it comes, then grab the thread and share your story. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah, that's great, that's great. Um, I love the, the idea about if you, you know, if, if the thread isn't there, create the thread by, ask, by asking a question that allows you once it's answered to introduce, you know, your, uh, 
<laughs> your first time story. So that's great. Um, okay, last question for you. What is can you do? What is the 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 three six five first the hashtag three six five first challenge? Tell us about that. So that is it's actually an app, and it's it allows you to make your list of things that you've never done before. So okay. it's not a bucket list. Okay. So I have different reasons to have a beef with the bucket list concept. Uh, big reason is it's a bucket list. It focuses on what you want to do before you die. Yeah. Uh, five first challenge focuses on how to maximize what you do today. It's also about being uh, very action driven, focus <laughs> and okay. mindful in what you add into your life to continue to grow, continue to learn and continue to do neuroplasticity. So I, I listen to a lot of neuroscientists and the one thing, and this is, I created 365 First Challenge before I got more obsessed with neuroplasticity because I had realized that for, for me, mm -hmm. the more new experiences, the more things I learn, I became a faster learner. And I started realizing so many other benefits from doing things I had never done before. But I, and I can talk a lot about this, but so, but neuroscientists, when I, I more and more that I listen to them, the mm -hmm. one thing they always, all of them mention is how beneficial it is to do new things, to be exposed wow. to novelty, because it wakes your brain up to pay attention to, you know, grasp new information and to mm. figure out what to do with it. And then that new information informs everything else as you move forward. So as you capture new information, you strengthen yourself as you keep moving forward in, you know, making decision and needing to be creative and problem solving, you know, you name it. When we fuel our brains, we equipped ourselves to be better prepared to handle situations as they come our way. So, and it's also just a lot of fun. It's just, it's, it's so much fun. It releases dopamine and makes you feel good. It gets you excited. And one of the things that I came to realize is that, well, I don't need to be perfect at everything. I don't need to succeed at everything. I like to do things for the sake of just doing them or just having the experience because it's part of life and I'm only going to be here for a limited amount of time. So I want to pack as much as I can into, you know, living and experiencing. That's, that's amazing because it really, I mean, that's, that's the other part of all of this. The other part is you've, you've got the concept of, first time storytelling for all the incredible reasons you want to do that. But there's also the fuel that creates the stories, which is the first times, meaning that, you know, if you really get into this as a cycle, um, you're talking about giving yourself the opportunity to constant add more fuel to your stories, i.e. going out there and having more experiences, more new experiences, then create more 
first time stories, but it's keeping you out there looking and hunting uh, for opportunities to do new and different things. So it really is a full 360, or in your case, 365, but a, a 360 um, compendium of just creating a maximizing your life, as you say, but also understanding who we are as humans. Yeah. Right. So and it makes it's, you it's like very, a full circle kind of thing. Yeah. And then it makes you very present and mindful because you are, you're, you're like, what's happening? And is, you know, is there a story in that? And then how would I write this story? And whoa, I could do this story better. So I'm going to, you know, if I want to tell this story in a better way, I need to write it in a better way. So you kind of become, you know, you become a co-creator in everything that is happening in your life. And it gives you such a greater appreciation mm. for life and living to where it's a, it's an active, instead of just being, I don't know, a passenger or, or it just yes. like you're an active participant in life. The, that's exactly what I was thinking. That's right. Um, you become conscious because we're, you know, most of the time we're on autopilot, uh, but this this takes you out of that comfort zone coma that you're in, and it forces you to be conscious about what's happening around you and your life, and and being and leading it as opposed to just being a passenger in it. That's awesome what you just said there. That's that's incredible stuff. Wow. I mean, I gotta say, and I'm so happy that I found you, that I found your book. Because you've, you've, you've introduced something new into my life that I would have never thought about, uh, which is fantastic. So thank you so much. Where can our listeners find out more about you, find out more about the uh, 365 First Challenge, all of it? What's, what's the, where should everyone go? Well, first, Lawrence, let me say thank you very much. Because when you write a book... And if you're the only person to ever read that book and have that and for it to have that much of an impact, you're like, check, job done. <laughs> because <laughs> when you write a book, as what you're hoping is going to happen when someone reads it. Mm. So, so to get in touch with me on social media, if you look up Anne Bernard, you will find me. If you go to firsttimestorytelling.com, there you can, I invite you if you want to get started with this i invite you to the first time story map project so if you go to firsttimestorytelling.com under storytelling go to fts prompt and there there's currently six prompts available to where you record your story and then mm -hmm. you post it to the map and then you can listen to other people's stories. So, cause that's what I really do want to bring first time storytelling around the world so that we do communicate, we do shift to communicating in that fashion and opening up who we are so that we're making connection because we're living in a very divisive world right now. And the truth is there's so much more that we have in common we just need to reconnect with that so participate in that you can go to 365firstchallenge.com i am making a big shift to youtube 
So okay. if you go the first time storytelling YouTube channel, the 365 First Challenge YouTube channel, I'm actually launching a having a very honest conversation about self-development okay. live webinar on YouTube. And we're if if you think some of what we've talked about tonight was mind blowing, I'm about to drop some 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 other truth and knowledge okay. about self-development because it's one of the things that I love to do is always discover what's on the, the flip side. So nothing's ever what it seems. There's always a flip side and thoroughly thinking through everything and discovering, you know, the nuggets of seeing things, you know, in its fullness and in how, you know, how different it can be from how it's, it's, it's currently being discussed. That, that's great. And I will add to that and say that I implore everyone that's listening to this, get Anne's book. It is not a long book, right? It's not that long, but it is power packed with just, just incredible insight and advice on everything that we've been talking about, but so much more all packed into like, I mean, you could literally, you, you'll read through it in a day, um, but you'll go back to it again and again and again. What I love about the book is that throughout the chapters, you weave in uh, a link uh, while well, I'm on the Kindle version, right? So I get that link to uh, a story, one of your first time stories. So through, throughout the book, you're, you're dropping a link where people can click and listen to a first time story uh, of yours. A number of them. So that's great. Uh, I love it. Fantastic. Thank, thank you, Anne, so much for being on the show. It's been great having you. Super informative. Great advice. I wish you tremendous, tremendous success with this. You're, you're definitely doing something that adds huge value to human beings. And that is just a really unique experience and a skill, I think, that uh, would make everyone's lives better. So thank you.